real pleasure for us to hear Howard come and share some testimony with us this morning and tonight and to hear how God is working and I think it really fits in the testimonies that he gave and that place of witness that he has within the prison system in corrections of how he brings the word of God and the witness of Christ into people's lives and we shared a reading this morning, and I'd just like to read it. It's only a few verses from the book of John in chapter 1, from verse 6 to verse 13. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. And I could say tonight that there was a man sent from God into the prison system. His name's Howard. And there are others, many others, who come into the prison system and into the dark places of our world that God sends. But in this context, he sent John. He came as a witness, John did, to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own but his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, the Lord Jesus Christ, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This is a powerful piece of scripture talking about John the Baptist, but more than John the Baptist, it talks about Jesus. Tim started last week this uh, mini-series, if you like, this uh, few-week series on discovering our identity and calling. And if you weren't here, please listen to the podcast on the website and you'll find some fantastic teaching through Tim last week. And my favourite quote from last week was this. If my beep is going to work. Yeah, hang on. The vast majority of us go into or to our graves without knowing who we are. We unconsciously live someone else's life or at least someone else's expectations for us. This does violence to ourselves, our relationship with God and ultimately to others. If we were going to take uh, an example of someone knowing who they were, it would be John the Baptist. Because he knew who he was, he knew why he came, and he was one who had that fixed vision and fixed mission about what he was to do. And if we were to read on later in the chapter, uh, he was questioned, as it says, he said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees, and they asked him, why then are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stand one stands who you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. He came to point to Jesus. He said, they said to him earlier, who are you? Are you the Christ? He says, no. Are you Elijah? No. I am the one who came to share the light. He knew who he wasn't, but he knew who he was. 
I want to ask the question to you tonight, do you know who you are? In God, in your identity with God, do you know who you are? Often we think that we know who we are and sometimes we live in a place where we're not, we shouldn't be. Or a place where we think that's who we are, but that's not who we are. If we were to launch out of this, we are launching out of this reading, the verses that I want to highlight to us are these, 12 and 13. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. In the King James Version, mostly, if you've been brought up in the King James Version as I was, because I'm old, but as many as received him, to them he, he, to them gave he the power to become sons of God. Now, when we read through the scriptures in various contexts and various quotes, we are described as sons of God. Now, girls, it's not about gender uh, exclusiveness or anything like that. What it is, and I'll explain it to you shortly, it's how the Bible was written at that time. But in this context, it's better uh, interpreted as children of God, sons and daughters. So whenever you read sons, have a look at, and, uh, look at it and think that means sons and daughters, children of God. So it's saying that our identity when we receive Jesus into our lives is that we are children of God which comes from God. This identity is given to us. Whenever we talk about our identity in Christ, one of our, I think, our temptations is that we say, well, that's my identity. And in this world, we often sit in our own identity and we own that identity, which is okay, but it becomes self-centered. But Jesus is saying your identity emanates or originates from God. You are children of God. Whenever you go to a party or um, whenever you head off to a, a, a gathering of people, people you haven't known before or you meet new people, often you will uh, be introduced to them and uh, you'll say, Hello, Rosie. What do you do? It's rhetorical. Yeah, but what do you do? <laughs> Who are you? We often have this, <laughs> this measure of people by what they do, by their occupation. And sometimes in our judgment or our assessment, if you like, of people and their occupation, we either look up to them or we look down to them, don't we? For much of our identity is wrapped up in trying to be accepted. So sometimes you'll say, oh, I'm, what do you do? Oh, I'm just a cleaner. There's no just in cleaner. That's what I do. That's my occupation. And sometimes we go, oh, that's nice. My brother was a federal policeman for a long time and he tells a story about when he went to this party and... Uh, He's chatting with this group of people and nobody's asking him what he did. But he, this is in Canberra and they're having this party and suddenly someone said, so what do you do with yourself? He said, I'm a federal policeman. They all turned their back and walked away. Isn't that interesting? 
Sometimes I say to people, people say, oh, what do you do? I'm a pastor. Oh, that's nice. Oh, is that the time? Often we assess people. Oh, you're a doctor. Oh, wow, you're a doctor. That's really good. So we assess people by not who they are, but by what they do. And as I said before, much of our identity is wrapped up in trying to find acceptance, trying to get on, trying to find a place where we are loved, where we are received by others, and where we are valued. And we're all like this. If you say that I'm not like that, well, you're abnormal because our culture is all about acceptance of people by what they do. Our culture feeds us with lies, doesn't it? Lies that we need to be in a certain way so that we can make an impact, so that we can survive, so that we can be successful, so that we can be in in community with some sort of stature, some sort of standing, and all these S words. It feeds us these lies that you must do something certain or something good in, in order to be able to survive in this world. Many of us have been fed lies about our, our identity. Lies about who we are, and you will understand that if you have been told certain things in your life when you were younger and they've settled into your heart, that becomes the thing that models you and drives you sometimes for the rest of your life. These lies we have believed and the misconceptions we have believed and we live according to how we have come to believe ourselves to be. I do it, you do it. For you will always live your life the way you believe yourself to be. If you are brought up with that sense of you're hopeless, you're no good, and you believe it, guess how, how you will live your life, like a hopeless person. Howell would tell you about young guys who are in Woodford Prison, maybe 19 or 20, who have, had, have been thrown out of home at the age of 10 and have had to live on the streets and had to fend for themselves, but their belief system about themselves is that they're, they're no good. They're hopeless. My father hated me, and so I hate him. My mother didn't want anything to do with me, so I want nothing to do with her. And so the self-talk to, them, to themselves is that society doesn't want them, and the only way I'm going to survive is if I commit a crime if I steal from someone else because no one wants me. And so the way that they believe themselves to be is the way that they live their life. But I want to say to you, in the likes of the, the Rons of life, this man who has been in and out of prison for 40 years, we might explain him by being a career criminal. But he has come to Christ and he has become a child of God. And so we could explain his life by what he has done, but we now can define his life by being a child of God. So often we make the mistake of just explaining people by their story, but God defines them by who they are with him. And he defines us by who we are with him. You see, this affects the whole of our lives. 
You see, the world tries to squeeze us, including people, try to squeeze us into a certain mold. Try to squeeze us into places that we don't belong. And whether we like it or not, we've allowed it to happen. I know I battle with a 10-year-old voice saying that I'm not good enough. And I've battled with that, obviously, for now 40, nearly 46 years. Now you can add up how, much, how old I am, and that's okay. It doesn't matter. And we've allowed those things to happen, and unless we start to realize that that's not our identity, but our identity belongs in Jesus Christ, then those things will control us. We, as a church... As the Christian church in many ways have become impotent in our community because we have believed the lies that we don't have a voice, that we're not relevant, that we have no impact. And so we're, attempt we're tempted to hide away into our little holy cluster and keep away from the world because they're too hard to deal with. Do you see, we belong to one who is far greater than all of that, which tries to push us into the hole that tries to push us into this uh, mold that doesn't fit. Sometimes we've misinterpreted scripture as well, and we've tried to mold people. And this is one example. Have you ever heard this scripture, Proverbs 22, 6? Train up a child in the way he should go, even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Ever heard that scripture before? And sometimes we interpret that by saying, if only we can get our son or daughter to become a doctor, or an engineer, they'll make more money and they'll keep mum and dad in the way they, that they need to be accustomed. Didn't work with us. Anyway, and we didn't try to make them doctors or engineers or anything. What, that's not what it means. It doesn't even mean bring someone up in the faith and when they're old, they won't depart from the faith. That's not what it means. In the Hebrew, what it means is this. Train up the child in their gifts, in their talents, in the ways in which God has made them to be in their personality. Train them up and encourage them and nurture them in that place. And when they're old, they will pursue the gifts and the talents and the personality that they are. That's what that means. It doesn't force people into a mold that doesn't belong to them. But we have made it sometimes like that. Augustine was a guy who lived about 600 years ago. He's pretty old now. And um, he knew that in a sense for all of us, there is the thing, um, as apprentices of Jesus, we have to have a double knowledge. A knowledge of ourselves and a knowledge of God. And he says this, How can you draw close to God when you are far from your own self? If you live in a lie you won't be able to get to know who God is because you're living lies and you won't listen and you won't hear what God is like. Grant, Lord, that I might know myself and that I may know thee, I may know you. If we understand identity as Christians, we understand that God calls for us to be our true selves. Now, that's not some ethereal thing in fluffy land that one day we'll pursue our true selves and we'll find it somewhere. What it means is this, our true selves in God's economy is understanding who he created us to be. It becomes clearer and clearer as we grow in our relationship in and through Jesus. 
as you grow in your relationship with Jesus, you will understand more and more and more your true self. When we understand our true identity, we will understand these words of a lady called St. Catherine, uh, who was around the 600 years ago as well. She was what's called a Dominican scholar. A Dominican order was part of the Roman Catholic Church. And she says this, whoops. When we are who we are called to be, we will set the world ablaze. When we live in a lie, we only look introspectively at ourselves. But when we are called and realize who we are, who God chooses us or uh, says that we are, we will be change agents in the world. We will be people who will walk into uh, dark places like prisons and be able to speak into lives and see transformation happen in the rons of this life. In all the other guys in this life, those ones whose, whose darkness has overcome them. So, what is our identity? To as many as have received the true light, Jesus Christ. To them he gave the right to become children of God, which comes from God. What's our true identity? Is that we're children of God. This is really difficult for some people. Because they have little understanding of having a healthy human father. A healthy human father who loved them and nurtured them and caused them to be the best that they could be in their life. And so understanding a heavenly father and feeling safe with him is totally foreign and, and an intellectual concept at best. I don't know where you've come from tonight and I don't know what your background is, but I know some of your background, but if you've come from a home where you've had an unhealthy relationship with a father, it's hard to understand what a heavenly father is going to be like. But he wants to break into your world and help you to understand that he's a loving father who nurtures you and honors you and he wants to bring you up into the fullness of who he made you to be. He doesn't force us into a mold that looks like a cookie cutter. He doesn't force us to be robots. He doesn't force us to be ones that we're not made to be. He wants to nurture us in our giftings. He wants to nurture us in the places that we are. He wants to nurture us in our personalities, in our idiosyncrasies. He wants to nurture us so that we become the best that we can be, so that we will show the glory of God in our lives. To as many as have received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Children of God or sons of God. In Ephesians 1, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, so that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. What's all this son stuff? That we should be sons of God. Sons through Jesus Christ. 
What's all this sons stuff? Is this gender exclusiveness? No, let's get our minds away from that. Let's understand the concept and the, and the thinking when this was written. It's about connecting with the Son of God. For when Jesus came up out of the waters of baptism, the Spirit descended on him like a dove, and the voice from heaven from the Father said, This is my Son, who I love, in whom I am well pleased. We understand that Jesus is the Son of God, and that we are sons of God. This term is used quite often through the Bible in the Old Testament when it's referring to Israel. And they look forward over the hill, if you like, to when the Messiah would come, the Son of God. Even angels are referred to as sons of God. But there can only be one, the Son of God, and that's Jesus. Let's understand this. If I was a, a farmer in biblical times, I would understand that my sons needed to be farmers. That was generally the case. There weren't too many degrees being offered at uh, Jerusalem University, nor was there any training in the Jerusalem Agricultural College because there was none. So as a father, I trained my sons to be farmers. I trained them how to look after the sheep or how to till the land and how to grow the crops. I trained them and they became a mimic of their father in their farming. The same was with the girls. The girls in that time would follow their mother and whether their mother was a, a seamstress or a dressmaker, they would become seamstresses and dressmakers and their mother would show them what it was to what threads and cottons and, and needles and, and buttons and materials were like. They didn't go to TAFE, they learned from their mother. And the same with any occupation, whether your dad was a candlestick maker, you'd become a candlestick maker. Whether your dad was a butcher, you'd become a butcher or a shepherd or a tent maker and so on. I would become a product of my father and I would reflect my father as a son. Do you understand? I would become a product of my mother and reflect my mother if I was a daughter. Do you understand? Of course, both parents had impact on all of the kids. When we read scriptures like Matthew 5, 9, and it says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. What that means is this, that God is the ultimate divine peacemaker. And when I am his son, then I will reflect the father and be a peacemaker. Peacemaking in, in and that doesn't mean the UN peacekeeping force, that means... Um, Peacemaker in relationships, peacemaker in the world, bringing people into that place where they make peace with God, leading them into that place where they find Jesus as their Lord and Savior. That's what that means. The difference between Jesus and us is that he is the eternal son of God and we are the adopted sons, or we are the children of God, meaning that as we receive him, his life comes to connect with our life, that we become in union, as it were. We become inextricably connected with Jesus, and his life shows and, and, and flows through our lives into others' lives, or towards others' lives. You see, it's about the bringing of light into the midst of the darkness. I can't be the eternal son of God, but I am a son of God. I'm a son of God in that now I mimic my father. 
now I can show what the Father is like to people who don't know him. Now I can act in a way or live in a way so that my life is an open show to who the light is and to the peace and the forgiveness and the love and the compassion and the grace of God, the Father. Do you understand? Have a look at this. Jesus in chapter 14 of the, the book of John, I will not leave you as orphans. He had been saying that I'm leaving, I'm going to be crucified. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. This is in verse 1. My peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. That's in verse 27. But in these chapter verses 18 to 20, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while and the world will see me no more. But you will see me because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. It's Christ who is in us so that we don't have to be orphans, fatherless, parentless anymore. I know that sometimes people find that really hard and they sometimes live as orphans. I want to say to you, if you live with that sense of being an orphan, God wants to say and remind you today that he is your father and you are his child when you receive him into your life. We don't need to be orphans, for we are children of God. As Christ is the Son of God, we can become sons of God or children of God. David Benner says this, Christian spirituality is taking on the mind and heart of Christ as we recognize Christ as the deepest truth of our being. It is actualizing the Christ who is in us. It is becoming fully and deeply human it is experiencing responding to the world through the mind and heart of God as we align ourselves with God's transformational agenda of making all things new in Christ. It is participating in the very life of God. Do you know as a child of God, you are participating in the very life of God. It's not like he's over there somewhere, but he has become so connected with us I, of course we know that our lives are a continual process of transformation all through our lives. Ask Howard. He's been a Christian for 44 years. He would tell you that he ain't finished yet. He would tell you that the process is still going. He'll tell you that he will continually strive to be closer to God and God is growing closer to him. I'm only a young one compared to, to Howard in that I've only been a Christian 38 years. And I have this saying, and, and many of you have heard this saying before, the more I know, the more I know I don't know. You've heard that before? The more you know about God, the more you know you don't know about God. But he is drawing us on this place, this process. But by being in union with the life of Jesus, as the Bible says, in Christ, this is where we meet God and we find our true identity. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face. And when he went up to get the, the uh, Ten Commandments, he came down from the mountain. He was so present with God that his face glowed and they had to put a veil over it so that it wouldn't be too bright because they didn't have sunglasses. And, and so, um, 
so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Only through Jesus. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. He has unveiled the face. And the glory of God shines from your life. Why? Because you're a child of God. Because he shines his life and his light through your life. For our identity and calling isn't something create, we create, it is something we receive from our creator. No matter what people say about you, no matter if they criticize you, no matter if they run you into the ground, no matter if they persecute you for your faith, that can never take away the fact that you are a child of God when you receive Jesus into your life. That's your identity. That's who you are. Is that exciting? I reckon. No matter what the government may legislate, even if they banned the Bible, even if they chained the door of this building called a church and said you can't meet there anymore, nothing can change the fact that we are children of God. You're a child of God. If I could say that to each one of you tonight, because I know who you are, I would say it to each one of you. You are a child of God. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Children not born of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. Robert Mulholland says this, To be like Jesus is a matter of both being and doing. It is being in relationship of loving union with God that manifests itself in Christ-like living in the world. So our identity is that we are children of God, but our calling is that we live like Christ in the world. That we live mimicking the Father, as it were. If we're children of the Father, we will mimic him. We will become godish, if you like. That's not even not a word. But it, be, it will be that we reflect him. We reflect his light. We are not the source of light, but we are just reflectors. Just like the, on the back of your, your bicycle, that reflector. We're just like that. The light shines on it and the light is reflected from us. In Luke chapter 9, it says, And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, this is our calling, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and the holy angels. Luke 9, that is, 23 to 26.
when we understand the cross, take up your cross and follow him, we know that the cross has a vertical beam and a horizontal beam. If you think of it like this, the, the vertical is God's will. The horizontal is ours. And at the intersection point, that place where our will and his will intersects, that's the cross that we have to pick up. Because he's saying, put your will down and take up mine. And that's a, sometimes a heavy cross to bear because we want our will to be done. But God says, if you belong to me, you are my child. And by reflecting me, you will do my will. You will live my life. You will shine my light. And that means putting yourself down. Not, not putting yourself down in the sense of, I'm just, put, I'm just a, a put down, but I'm laying my life down in order that his life might shine. It is understanding this, that God is far more interested in what he does in us than what we can ever do for him. God is interested in transforming our hearts because out of a transformed heart will come the life of Jesus. When I die, I want to be known by my eulogy. Do you know what a eulogy is? A eulogy, for the Brazilians in the room, a eulogy comes, the word eulogy comes from a Latin word meaning to give praise to. And so it's the story of someone's life, highlighting all the good things that you hear when you go to a funeral and you talk about the person who's died and they talk about their life. You understand? So I want to be known for, my, for the eulogy, not my resume. My resume says, this is what he's done. Whoop-de-doo. When I go to face Jesus, he's not going to say, hey, Dad, look, Here's David Taylor. Do you know what he did? I've got his resume. No. He's going to say, in my understanding, in my, my take on it, hey, Dad, here's Dave Taylor. No. He's going to say, hey, Dad, look, a transformed heart. Here's our glory. And I want my eulogy to read, this man glorified God. That's all I want it to read. This man in his life shined the light of Jesus. I want my life known by my eulogy, not my resume. So who are you? Who are you? In your identity in God, who are you? Are you a child of God? Have you received Jesus into your life? Because that's the only way that you get to be a child of God. For to as many as have received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God and when you're a child of God let me read a few things you are the salt and light of the earth you've been given the spirit of power love and a sound mind you have you can find grace and mercy in time of need you are hidden with Christ in God you are complete in Christ you have been redeemed and forgiven of all your sins you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you you are a citizen of heaven and I could go on and on of who you are. Are you a child of God tonight? Are you? We're going to take some communion. Communion is a time that we honour who Christ is. 
We honor him for who he is and what he has done. We honor him because he gave of his whole self so that we might become children of God. This is a ginormous thing. And not only do we do it as individuals, but we do it together as a common thing. And so I'd ask you, church, who are you? When the, when the community of Kalanga and beyond look at Rivers Church of Christ, who do they see? Just a bunch of religious nuts getting together on a Sunday, having a sing? Or do they see, here's a bunch of the children of God connected with all the other children of God in the body of Christ? Who do they see? Let's pray. Lord God, as we think about our identity that you have made us to be. Sometimes we get sucked into what the world says that we are or what our programming has said that we are or what others have said over us lies and even curses over our lives. But we would stand against and stand away from those things that aren't true. And we would say and confess your word because we have received you, we are your children. We are sons and daughters of the Most High God. Thank you. Thank you. Forgive us, O oh God, for not acting or living out the calling that you have on our lives to be lights, to shine your light, or to show your life, and to be mimics of our Father. Forgive us, O oh God. Forgive us for looking to ourselves rather than you. Forgive us, O oh God, for not honoring you enough. As we partake of communion tonight, dear God, we choose to honor you. We choose to praise you and to worship you. We choose to acknowledge that it's only through Jesus that we become children of God. So over every life here tonight, I pray that there would be a reinforcing of the identity of God in every life. That there would be a renewed call to be your children, to be mimics of you in this world. Help us to do that. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for us. Thank you for voluntarily giving yourself so that we might live. Thank you for conquering sin and death. Thank you. We worship you tonight in Jesus' name. If you would come as the musicians play, and for those who are new here, we just come forward.